0: another rally. All right. What a crazy week, isn't it? We transform from this somewhat small, quiet, kind of moral place to anything but. Um, but honestly, you know, I own cabins and my favorite time of the year, the best customers I have just left today. They're the bikers. They're low maintenance. I get offered beers continually while I'm mowing or driving around on my lawnmower trying to do my own work. It's just really easy. Good good people. Sweet. Well my name's Evan. Um, and before I get into the series that we're kind of been looking at, uh, we're gonna have a night of prayer, like community prayer, uh, on August twenty fourth. It's like two weeks from now. It's on a Thursday from six to seven. I just, I've been sensing for a little while now that things are going to change with this community. I just, in a deeper spot, I'm just feeling that something new is is coming. And I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to try to be the one to direct this vision. I want to do it collectively. And the only way to do that is to enter in to just a, a time where we approach God's throne together and ask Him what's going on. So if you want to be a part of that Be great. August 24th from 6 to 7 o'clock. Great. So uh, we're in a series called Audience of One. Um, And just kind of a little bit of a backer, what that is all about. So the God of the Bible has created us, saved us, if we want it, and sustains us. So he's the one that made us. Without him, there is nothing. Right? Just try to think about that. Without God, there is absolutely nothing. But this world is broken and instead of leaving us in that broken state he has given us the opportunity to be reconciled to him. To save, to be saved. And after that salvation he doesn't stop. He continues to sustain us, to give us what we need. The breath in our lungs, the thoughts in our brains, the blood in our veins, but also the goodness that is just pouring through our lives. It comes from him. And so with that he should be the one that we go to. He should be the only audience that matters. He should be our audience of one, because there's nothing else like him in this world. And so, why not have him be the one that we come to for direction, for knowing that we are doing what is right, for feeling loved? Right? Why not just present our lives to him? You know, in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at what the Bible says about the best way for us to live. How we can obtain the abundant life that Jesus promised. And the idea is that we need to come before our creator in order to figure out the best way to live. Um, And we, just to make it simpler for us, instead of going through the entire Bible, we just kind of narrowed in on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7, when Jesus ascends a mount, a lot like Moses did back in the day, and he delivers a new law straight from the mouth of Jesus, of the best way to live. You know, Drew started it last week. Um, We're just going to look at it for the month of August. Um, But tonight we're going to look at this idea that we are called to live a life of purity. Live a life of purity. You know, Jesus starts off the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, with Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, you may, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You know, a major reason why we were redeemed if you have been redeemed, saved from the brokenness, is to bring glory to God through the way we live our lives. God is the author of good. Apart from him and his instructions on how to live, there is no good in this world. When humanity broke away from our creator and his design on how to live and how we should operate, depravity entered the scene and the world immediately began to crumble. And it still does today. The only thing that still holds it together are the biblical principles of how to live life and how to treat others. You know, I think that's why Jesus started his Sermon on the Mountain this way. By living according to our creator's design, we have an abundant life, one full of contentment and purpose. That's truly what I think we all deeply want in this life. One of the byproducts of this type of life is bringing glory to God, allowing the quality of our life to be a light that shines before others, giving glory to God. You know, And one of the instructions that he gives us is to pursue purity. Purity defined, it's simple, freedom from contamination, freedom from corruption, Freedom from the things that destroy and eat away at the goodness of this life. And we're going to be kind of looking at four verses, Matthew five twenty-seven through 30. These are fun ones. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Real lighthearted verses, right? The kind that you read to your three-year-old as they go to bed. Again, who did this come from? God himself. So it requires some real consideration because there's got to be value in there. So we're just going to pick this apart. We're going to look at the first two verses. If you want to go to the next slide, Michael, just to kind of narrow it down. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what we see here is that Jesus is showing us the true standard of perfection, of righteousness, of being holy, the true standard of who our God is and what he desires. Jesus openly challenges his culture's view on doing what is right. The Pharisees and other religious authorities had narrowed people's focus in on simply keeping what we call the letter of the law. So in this passage, they said, if you do not commit adultery, if you do not go out and physically have sex with somebody that is not your, your spouse, then you have obeyed the law. You're good to go. You know, in the passage before this that Drew looked at last week, if I do not murder, therefore, like physically go out and take somebody's life, therefore I am good to go. I am righteous. You know, and we operate really out of a similar philosophy with our own forms of impurity. And we got a lot of different forms of corruption that operate on a regular basis within our culture. But I've just picked three tonight just to kind of give us examples on greed, lust, and anger. Now, greed is this idea that we think that money or possessions is what's going to truly make us content and happy. We don't have to be like Scrooge, right, who wants everything and denying even the poor little popper. But the idea of greed is that we just think that money is what is going to satisfy us. And we think that we are not greedy if we don't go out and buy that new car or that new outfit or that new video game. I did not buy it, therefore I am not greedy. You know, with lust the idea of sexual immorality, I did not go out and have sex with so-and-so, therefore I have not lusted. And in terms of anger, I did not yell at my kid, I did not push him away, I did not swear at my spouse, I did not get in the face of my boss, employee, co-worker, teacher, friend, therefore I have not been angry. But Jesus shows us that keeping the law externally does not make us perfect. Our minds and our emotions play a major role in our inability to live up to God's standard, which is perfection. And we see this in Matthew 5.28. If you just go back to that section of verses again. Getting closer. It's uh, just a second one. Yeah, Matthew 5.28. That works too. But I say to you that... Everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in her heart, with her in his heart. So for the audience, he says that, you know, the commandment against adultery, or lust, is broken the moment that you think lustful thoughts. The commandment against do not murder is broken the moment that you are angry with him. And so the same applies for us. Greed wins out when we spend hours looking at the things we want. Even though we didn't purchase them, we have spent an inordinate amount of time just desiring these things with the intention of them making us more happy. Lust occurs when we give a second look to that attractive person that just walked by. Anger is in control when we silently swear at our kids or judge our spouse or our friends, when we picture ourselves yelling at our boss, our coworker, our teacher, whatever. This shows us that the reality of imperfection shows us the reality of our imperfection and the impossibility to live the way that God has designed us to live. Our imperfection is far more than the way that we act externally. It's just as much in our minds and our emotions. You know, we are a major part of the reason why this world is so broken. There's no need to end there, right? Like how terrible with that feel how condemning that's the beauty of God. It's the beauty of his story laid out in the Bible this shows us that we are in need of a savior it seems to me that this is why Jesus said what he said on this mountain to show people their inability to live up to their end of the deal to make it blatantly obvious that our relationship with the perfect God is fully contingent upon someone or something else to show us that we need a savior Think about the amount of times this week that you thought things you shouldn't have thought. Lust, greed, anger, right? And it goes on and on. This is who Jesus is and exactly what he has accomplished. Regardless of the greed, lust, or anger that rolls through our minds, we are fully atoned, forgiven for past, present, and future thoughts if we trust in the redemptive power of Jesus through his death. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. Figured, I'll stop talking. Let's just look at the Bible. So if anyone is in Christ, believes in him, put their faith in him, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses, sins, imperfections against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That righteousness is perfection. So by trusting in Jesus, we become perfect in the eyes of God, which is just mind-blowing. And it states in there that everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. But it's important to recognize that he is talking about our spiritual nature, who we are within our souls, that immortal part of us. We have been made new, but we are still battling our flesh. You know, I really like the way Paul puts it in Romans 7. This is Paul talking. Think about Paul. We think he's perfect. He's an amazing evangelist. He's done so much for the gospel. This is like 20 years or so into his ministry. And he says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, this passage is worth some meditation, contemplation, right? It's kind of fun to say over and over. It's almost like a tongue twister. But there's just such insight into who we are in this. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I do. Right? Anybody relate to that? And This idea is that even though if you have been redeemed, you have been filled with the Spirit of God. God himself, the creator of all, lives within you. He influences your mind, but your mind has been trained, been built up by years or decades of faulty living. And it still goes off of those belief systems that our culture supports and encourages. And so the battle within us is between the spirit, that holiness that is within us, and our mind that was born into a corrupt world. You know, because we have been given free will, we still have the ability to choose who we are going to follow. Our creator or the patterns of this broken world. Because this battle exists, and it does, is why our lives are so tormented at times. It's because of this battle that rages within us. Because this battle exists, Jesus calls us followers to a higher pursuit of purity in this life. Let's see what that is, Michael. Matthew five twenty nine through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Imagine that. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, just off right off the bat, I don't think he's saying this literally. <laughs> I think this is far more a figurative expression, just in case, right? So what we see in this statement, wait, I'm sorry. This battle has nothing to do with our, the state of our souls, that eternal part of who we are, or God's view of us. We are not called to live by his design to make him like us more. From cover to cover, I do not see a God that looks to reward us because we behave the way he wants us and punish us if we don't. The battle for purity has everything to do with the abundant life that we seek and the glory that we are created to give to our maker. In this statement, Jesus shows us the seriousness in which we are to approach this life. Yes, God's grace is everything. And without God, we have nothing. However, we are called to take this life seriously. We should be willing to make major sacrifices in our pursuit of living in accordance to God's original intention for us. This is how Jesus described life to his followers. Luke 9, 23, please. Jesus himself talking to Peter and John, all those guys. Then he said to them all, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What an imitation! To deny yourself those urges, those desires that you have within you that you want to fulfill and take up your cross. Think about what the cross was to them, to Jesus at that time. Right? It's a form of laying down your own life And the way that Jesus took it on was he was laying it down for other people. So living a selfless, sacrificial life daily is how we are to follow Jesus. You know, it's never easy to make sacrifices. Whether it's spiritual, physical, it doesn't matter. It's not easy. However, the benefits of the abundant life and bringing glory to our creator far outweigh the instant gratification of greed, lust, anger. So how do we do this? Really, it comes down to the moment. The battle we fight is a battle of the moment. The choices we make in the moment is how we fight the battles against the evils of this world. When the moment arrives and greed, lust, anger rear their beautiful heads, which they are beautiful in the moment, This is when we come face to face with this battle. Do I give in to my impulses and fleshly urges, or do I surrender to the Spirit's leading to pursue purity, righteousness, God's design? Let me give you some examples. Whether or not you struggle with greed, lust, anger, right, just fill in the blank with whatever tendencies you have. In terms of greed, do I look at another online sale? Do I flip through another Pinterest board? Do I go into that world of the things that I want? Do I window shop for another five minutes? Do I drive around the car lot yet again? Or do I spend time alone with God, seeking contentment in what I have already been given? That is the battle of that moment. In terms of lust, sexual immorality, do I give another glance towards that attractive person that's sitting at that table next to me? Or the seductive ad that happens to pop up every 10 seconds on my computer? Or do I keep focused on what is good in front of me and healthy? Do I close my browser and ask God for help in overcoming this temptation? In that moment, that decision that you make is how you either win or lose the battle of that moment. In terms of anger, when somebody is upsetting you, and people do it all the time, whether it's kids, bosses, right? Spouses, neighbors, random people. Do I silently yell at them? Do I allow my emotions to take control and visualize everything I want to do and just let that storm rage within me? Or do I ask God for patience and the strength to love that person in that moment? You know, the battle for our minds is fully dependent upon the choices we make in the moment, and it comes down to surrender. Do you surrender to your fleshly tendencies or do you surrender to your creator and his plan for how to live? You know, we are continually being influenced by one or the other, the spirit or the flesh, and they pull us in opposite directions. You know, Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5, 16, and 17. Live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. Let me just make this a little bit more clear. So the flesh directs us towards selfishness. Whether it's greed, lust, anger, pleasure, whatever addictions you tend to gravitate towards, they. Direct us towards selfishness. Momentary gain for the moment for ourselves. This type of living ends in loss. Think about what greed does. It leads to discontentment. You think you're going to be satisfied the more you have, but the more you have, the more you want, and you end up totally discontent. Lust leads to a lonely, broken life with relationships scattered all around you. Anger leads to bitterness. And I heard somebody once say that bitterness is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. But the Spirit directs us towards selflessness, towards a life desiring to love God and others more, which leads to the abundant life. So when we fight against greed, we end up with contentment. We end up realizing how good we have it and how satisfied we are with what we have. Fighting against lust leads to healthy, satisfying relationships in which people will pour goodness into our lives. And fighting against anger brings the exact opposite. It brings peace for us eternally and love for the people that we are are fighting against the anger for. This is why Jesus calls us followers to take such a drastic stance against impurity because it leads to destruction and what he desires is for us to have life and life abundantly. You know, it's incredible. Um, it, like if we end here, it, it's just kind of a, a bit of a weight upon us. You know, there's obviously... It simplifies it by looking at the battle of the moment and we can continually fight that battle, but it's kind of an overwhelming sense of, man, moment after moment, I'm going to have to keep fighting this battle. How will I ever come to any sort of conclusion? And man, the grace that is poured upon us during this battle is significant and essential. The more we surrender to the spirit and its influences, the more our minds are renewed and our lives transformed. Each time, each moment we choose God and his desires for that moment, we become more open to his influence for the moments that will follow. Does that makes sense? To think about dominoes. Instead of having to continually fight an uphill battle our entire lives, the more that we surrender to God's leading, the easier it becomes to stay surrendered to stay immersed in the abundant life. So that battle that you will fight in the hours to come, if you choose the spirit over the flesh, it's going to push you down a road that's better and easier, a road of victory. You know, even though our flesh remains after our soul is saved, the spirit is continually at work recreating our minds, destroying our fleshly tendencies, and turning us into God's original intention. This isn't me. This is 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We were just singing about this. And all of us with unveiled faces, standing right before the glory of God, nothing standing before between us, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image. That's the image of God and His glory that we're being transformed in. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. One of the Spirit's main roles in our lives is to transform us into God's original intention His design. How incredible is that? But it is up to us to make the choice to deny ourselves and daily take up the cross to follow Jesus. That's the beauty, it's the double edged sword to free will. It's a beautiful thing that we can choose, but our choices are what determine our lives. let's pray. God, thank you for this moment, uh, for giving us life here in the now, just for allowing us to to breathe and to thank. Uh, thank you for being within so many of us, all of us, for being around us. You know, regardless of what comes tonight, we just surrender to you right now. We declare that you are our creator, our savior, and the one that sustains us. And we desire your influence over anything else. We desire to be led by you into a better life. We desire to give you glory and not take the glory ourselves. Spirit, work within our minds. We give you permission to work within our minds and our emotions to transform us, to renew our minds so that way we can better understand you and better live this life. Amen.